Blog Talk Radio. Even today, there are those who are trying to silence our words. But the voices of this conference and of the women at YRO must be heard loudly and clearly. It is a violation of human rights when babies are denied food or drowned or suffocated or their spines broken simply because they are born girls. It is a violation of human rights when women and girls are sold into the slavery of prostitution for human greed and the kinds of reasons that are used to justify this practice should no longer be tolerated. It is a violation of human rights when women are doused with gasoline, set on fire, and burned to death because their marriage dowries are deemed too small. It is a violation of human rights when individual women are raped in their own communities and when thousands of women are subjected to rape as a tactic or prize of war. It is a violation of human rights when a leading cause of death worldwide among women ages 14 to 44 is the violence they are subjected to in their own homes by their own relatives. It is a violation of human rights when young girls are brutalized by the painful and degrading practice of genital mutilation. It is a violation of human rights when women are denied the right to plan their own families, and that includes being forced to have abortions or being sterilized against their will. If there is one message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights once and for all.
All right, greetings everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome. As always, we would like to give you all a warm, warm welcome to today's show. I'm your host, of course, Faith, and you're hanging out with us live on Her Story 2. I'm glad, as always, and we are honored, as always, that you guys hang out with us live on the show um, in all your avenues. Um, y'all hung out with us live, so we're honored. Um, oh, very, very honored, really, really, and really, it's amazing what you guys write to us. Um, as always, we're definitely looking forward to taking your calls, as always. We'd love to hear from you as well. So let me go ahead and give you all the calling number. The calling number is 515-602-9735. That is the number to call. Remember... If you're calling from outside the U.S., you need to dial the U.S. country code and then dial 515-602-9735, and that should get you right in. Okay? That's what y'all need to remember. Um, we have listeners from all over the world, everyone. So for those of you who would rather not use this calling number, please go ahead and use the Skype to call option, but make sure that you have a Skype account, and that should be just fine okay so go on make sure you have a skype account and then you can use the skype to call option to call into the show okay everybody otherwise i'd also like to remind you for those of you who would rather just listen in and chat away with us that the chat room is now open so make sure that you um come on over and chat away with us we absolutely enjoy you all in the chat so feel free to do that as well if it's your very first time on block talk radio or on her story too you need, to, um, you need to come over to www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash her story too, and that is her story, and then T-O-O, and then simply click on the link that says sign up, and that should get you right in. Okay, everybody. I hope you all had a fantastic week. Um, how are you all doing? I see you all. I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, today, we have a special guest. Yes. We're going to be chatting away and discussing um, humanitarian mental health um, during the best violence and conflict areas with um, none other than expert Dr. Aisha Ahmad. Um, she will be joining us later. And so, you know, y'all be in your best behavior. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, feel free to ask whatever. You know, I mean, you know, uh, this platform is really all about. Um, education, awareness, inspiration, encouragement, you know, and all that good stuff. That's what we do. So go ahead and prepare your questions for her. Ask anything and everything. We don't have good questions and not so good questions. We just have questions, okay? And um, feel free to digress, you know, we don't mind, because we know that every question is just as important. So you might think you're digressing. I know somebody told me, you know, but you allow people to digress. I absolutely am aware when we're digressing, okay? But I know that there is a reason why that person is asking that question and um, they're here. They know the topic, but they're asking that question. So we accommodate everybody. Um, that's just how we do. We're informal. We are not so formal. We don't have, you know, very um, fixed rules. We are quite flexible and we adapt. So um, that's the answer to somebody who asked me that. Why do I allow people to ask, um, you know, to make all those diverse um, comments and questions um, because we learn in different ways. Um, that's the response to that. Okay, y'all, 
Welcome, welcome, welcome once again. For those of you who are just joining us, we want to give you a warm, warm welcome. Um, you are live on Her Story too. in case you were just passing through Blog Talk and bumped around, you know, bumped on our show. Um, that's what happens sometimes, you know. So just in case that happens, you're hanging out with us live on Her Story too, and we give you a warm, warm welcome to this platform. Um, um, for those of you who is your first time, we, what, we have what we like to call our welcome party, okay? And we're about to go into that. But before we go into our welcome party, um, I'm just going to give you all a little bit of an insight into what we're discussing today, and that is gender-based violence and conflict and humanitarian mental health as well from a cross-cultural perspective. So we're going to be talking about... Um, you know, um, different ways of dealing with mental health across different cultures. We're also going to be talking about gender-based violence in extreme settings um, and in conflict areas, okay? If you've looked at the state of the world, there is conflict in some parts of the country, in the some parts of the world, and what does that lead to? You know, you'll know the answer to that. Instability causes a lot of other social problems, and I'm not going to list them all, but one of them is gender-based violence. One of them is systematic and extreme cases of rape and abuse to women and children, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about that, okay? But we're going to start that discussion um, right after our welcome party. I'm going to share with you an intro into why cultural, cross-cultural informed um, approaches dealing with trauma which we know results from these kind of situations and experiences that people go through. So we're going to talk about ways that uh, alternative, alternative cross-cultural awareness and informed approaches to dealing with um, mental health. Okay? So we're going to do that. And, um, yeah, and on that note, we'll go into our welcome party right now. And um, you all know that's your cue to go grab your water, your juices, your beers, your smoothies, whatever floats your boat. Go ahead and do that. But remember to come back right here. Don't get caught up in your smoothie <laughs> mix and frenzy and forget that, you know, you were just getting it to have to come, you know, for the show. So we encourage you to go ahead and do that. And, um, yeah, so we're going to go into a welcome party. I'm going to, pray, I'm going to play, as you all have noticed, one of my favorite beats, um, and that is Corey Frasenham um, with so much to say. And then when we come back, I will share a little bit of an insight from TEDx um, um, from TEDx presentation um, on how um, culturally informed um, approaches dealing with medical health are very important. And this was a presentation about the challenges and rewards of a culturally informed approach to mental health by Jessica Dare. And you can find that on the TEDx. I'm going to play it um, directly from YouTube. And um, you all know how to do, if you, if you can hear me, put a thumbs up. If for some reason you can't hear me, let me know so that I can work through that, okay? But I think it's important for us to at least get the gist of it before we dive right in. You all know I love to do that, help us all get the gist from different perspectives before we dive right in. Okay, so we're going to go into our welcome party, y'all. Get ready to have some fun, and we're going to listen to Corey um, Spreisenham. You will make sure you go and show them some love, okay? Um, and here we go. Listen in, and um, yeah, after this. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. First things first. First things first. Um, as always, y'all, I would like to send out love to each one of you and just really give you all a big, big shout out. Of course, big, big shout out to you all. And um, thank you for all your support as always. So we're going to go ahead and give our shout out just to recognize all of our listeners from across the world and really thank them for all the support. And we're going to start right here at home, as we always do. So a big shout out and a big thank you goes out to all of our listeners in Norway who show us mud love and our listeners to Denmark and Finland and Sweden. Thank you all for all your support. Absolutely. Pleasure and honor. Um, we also want to give a big shout out to the UK, to Germany, to France, to Spain, to Russia and to Italy. Y'all didn't hear that before, did you? Okay. So big shout out to all of you. Um, we're going to go... To Africa, you know, we're going to go to the continent of Africa and give a big shout out to my hometown, Kenya. Big shout out to all our Kenyan listeners. Y'all absolutely rock. Karibu sana. Karibu, karibu sana. And um, you know how we do. Um, Asante sana. And um, a big shout out to all our fantastic listeners in Ghana. Ghana shows us a lot of mud love. So big up to you all in Ghana and Mali as well as Ivory Coast. 
Um, we're going to go to Asia now, I think. We should go to Asia and give a big shout out to Indonesia and all of our listeners in the Philippines, in India, um, in uh, who else is in Asia? That we have Malaysia as well. Yeah, big up, shout, big up to all of our listeners in Asia. We absolutely love you all. Um, yeah. And um, also a big shout out to Australia. Thank you so much for all your support. And Saudi Arabia and Iran. Iran, y'all know the only word I know is boshe boshe. So, you know, mercy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah. And finally, we'd love to give a big shout out to all of our listeners in Peru, in Brazil, and in uh, Mexico, Canada, and of course, last but definitely not least, the United States of America. We absolutely love you all. Yeah. So if you're just joining us right now, we're definitely looking to taking your calls as always. You all know you can use the Skype to call in number, but you can also call in directly on the phone line by calling in 515-602-9735. Please, please, you all on the call line, because some of you all also have blocked numbers. My cue for you, if you want to talk, is to push one on your keypad. And that will be my cue that you want to say something, okay? That's how we do it over here. I also want to remind you all that um, all of our shows are available for you 24-7. So you can actually go back and download, 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 and listen to all of our shows anytime you want. So go ahead and do that. So everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a special guest today, so you're in for a treat. Um, you're going to get nothing less but an amazing discussion on gender-based violence, um, humanitarian mental health, cross-cultural, um, um, you know, cross-cultural informed approaches to dealing with trauma and to dealing with mental health, which I think is extremely important. You all know we live in a diverse world. We're currently all in a global village. So if you all haven't realized that, time to push that wake-up button and smell the coffee. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro so that you all can get the gist of things. Um, and then when we come back, um, we will dive right in. Okay, y'all? So let me know if you can hear me. If you can hear me play this, because I'm playing it directly from YouTube. Okay, y'all? Here we go. Um, let's go. Um, let's see. Thank you. It's truly an honor to be here. I would like to start my talk today with a little exercise introducing you to a person named Pat. Pat is 31 years old with one sibling and their parents. Pat has always lived in the family home and would not consider moving out to live alone, except after getting married. Pat's parents always play a significant role in making decisions about all aspects of Pat's life, including education, work decisions, Pat's friendships and romantic life. This has been the case since Pat was a child. Pat rarely makes decisions without consulting family members and rarely expresses disagreement with others out of fear of disapproval or loss of support. Pat feels very uncomfortable when alone and tends to cling to others out of fear of being abandoned. Now take a moment to picture Pat. Are you picturing a young man, a young woman? Are you picturing a person of a particular ethnic or cultural background, maybe similar to your own or different? And consider for a moment whether such information would make a difference in how you think about Pat, and whether or not you think that Pat might have some kind 
of mental health concerns. So what if I added
All right. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that um, intro, and I hope you got something out of that. That was just for you to get a gist of it and to kind of get a, you know, a basis of why this topic is important, why we're discussing humanitarian mental health, why we're discussing cross-cultural approaches to dealing with mental health and trauma, and why it's important. But um, what I got from it is that I think it's very important for us to gain awareness of the differences that exist amongst us, which we know obviously exist, we're not all the same, although we are very much the same. But that being said, I think understanding, creating more awareness is important for us to engage and provide the best approaches and eventually, hopefully, the best solutions and treatments for people who have experienced a lot of trauma, people who have been victims, I like to say that in quotes, a.k.a. survivors of gender-based violence in conflict areas. And to help us kind of have a better understanding and you know, discuss this further, we have a special guest. And our special guest is Dr. Aisha Ahmed. And um, Aisha Ahmed is a lecturer in global health at St. George's University of London and an honorary lecturer at the Institute for Global Health, University College London, and a PhD in medical ethics. She is here to father helpers understand why this is important and um, also share with us how people's experiences shift in their lives and why it's important to use this kind of approach. Um, Aisha Ahmed, Dr. Aisha Ahmed, I see you on the line. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. (laughs) Hello, good evening. Hello. Good evening. Excellent. We hear you. We're here with you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on our show. We're absolutely thankful that you accepted our invitation. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, For those of you who've just joined us, we have a special guest today, and her name is Dr. Aisha Ahmed, who specializes in cross-cultural mental health, especially during conflict and gender-based violence in extreme settings. Um, Recently, her colleagues and herself completed a very um, amazing research project on investigating trauma therapeutic interventions interventions, for gender-based violence in Afghanistan um, using traditional storytelling. So here are some of the approaches that we can use to help each other overcome some of these challenges that we face. Aisha, welcome. Um, Thank you. We just dive right in because I think that it's always important um, to start with the basics. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. maybe we could start with what perpetuates gender-based violence and who is affected. Okay, so um, a, a simple answer is everyone is affected by gender-based violence. Um, when we have societies where, which there, I mean. There is no society in the world at the moment that is immune, where somebody is immune from gender-based violence. Gender-based violence stems ultimately from various inequalities, particularly around gender in a society. In, in societies where there are other factors such as conflict, uh, poverty, corruption, then those are factors which uh, magnify the, and accelerate gender-based violence. But no one is immune from gender-based violence. Often we hear a, a lot of the focus on women, um, violence against women, uh, and there is reasons for this. Uh, worldwide, over uh, 35% of, 
of women will experience some form of violence in physical um, or sexual intimate partner violence in their lifetime. Um, but uh, gender-based violence affects uh, children and it affects boys and uh, men as well. Yeah, and, and that is true. But why do you think this is, this is the case? Do you think that women are more affected or they're more neglected? Because when I look at these campaigns, a lot of the campaigns that go on about gender-based violence that focus on women and girls, there's always mm-hmm. this word that we are having a voice for those who don't have a voice. And also sometimes in some communities, when I have interacted with people who work in this field, I've also worked in this field myself personally, there is sometimes that kind of, um, um, you know, reasoning from our male counterparts um, that, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, Mm. um, I've actually been told that this is our culture. You know, sometimes in some communities, they'll actually, if a woman is outspoken or, you know, speaks her mind, they'll make a comment and say, you know, her husband needs to discipline her. And put her in a place so that she can remember her place. So they wouldn't say the same thing for a man. So I'm just mm-hmm. trying to understand why do you think there is this focus? And I'm not saying that men don't experience forms of violence. Mm-hmm. I absolutely am in agreement, total agreement, that they mm-hmm. do. And we don't hear so much about it. But I think there must be a reason why there's this main focus on women and girls. What, is, what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. that? No, I agree. And gender-based violence, you know, as I mentioned, ultimately it's is a consequence of unequal gender norms within a society. And if we look around the world at the way societies are organized, they, they, are, they do tend to be patriarchal society, societies where you are got inherent gender inequality. Um, there are lots of different factors in, in the examples that you just mentioned um, that increase perhaps uh, the vulnerability of a woman to experience gender-based violence. Um, when the gender-based violence is structural within a society. So that means it's systematic within different layers of that society, within an individual household layer, um, on a community level, um, perhaps on a governmental level. Um, in some countries that I work in, the policies and the, the laws of the country are actually towards women who are, who are victimized by gender-based violence. Um, so there, there are different levels there where um, where, where women actually become, as you mentioned, it becomes part of the culture. I, I'm a little bit cautious by saying, by reducing gender-based violence to being culture. By mm-hmm. describing, by describing it as culture, it just means that it's uh, a, accepted practice and or norm within a society. So that's mm-hmm. why many societies which we we are working in nowadays with gender-based violence are actually extreme settings because the violence has become normalized and socially accepted. So that takes a lot more undoing um, in order to respond to that, um, to address those unequal gender norms. Yeah, and I totally agree with you with that with that statement because we can also that one culture just thinks gender-based violence is good because in every culture there's people in those communities that say it is wrong, you know, and mm-hmm. there are actually laws that you know forbid this kind of you know violence. You know, but people just, you know, of course, they just do it, knowing it's wrong or not knowing it's wrong. But we wouldn't go too much into that. But I just want to make, you know, backtrack a little bit on the the, mm-hmm. the, the points that you made with regards to also men are neglected. And, and I mm-hmm. think it's this cross-cultural word related to violence in, in extreme settings. There's quite a lot of violence, you know, also what happens to men during wars, you know, the tortures and, you know, how they're drugged. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen those. 
you know, if you if everyone has been in a you know a conflict area, you know, there's different forms of violence against the different genders, and I think the differences maybe are not always expressed. You know, a man may not be raped or could be raped, but he might be that you know they might chop off his arms, his hands, you know, and that's also a kind of you know it's abuse and in, you know it's a violent act. And I think when we're talking about gender-based violence, is it more on different forms of violence that are more centered or targeted towards women, and certain forms of violence that are maybe targeted towards men? Mm, that's a good question. I think the way I would answer that is it. It depends on the context in which the gender-based violence is is um, is being experienced. So, mm-hmm. if I give the example of conflict, you, you mentioned various forms of violence. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever there's whenever there's one form of gender-based violence, there's going to be multiple forms. Um, they they don't exist in a vacuum. So even mm-hmm. in conflict, we know that um, e- even in conflicts where sexual violence towards women is used as a strategy of war, we know that mm-hmm. rates of domestic violence, of intimate partner violence, will be uh, will still be very high and will probably be even higher than the rates of sexual violence. It will increase during the conflict because of various uh, factors. Um, but I also know with the with the individuals that I work with, um, particularly mm-hmm. asylum seekers in the UK, um, mm-hmm. just one of the reasons why I, I'm, I'm working more around gender-based violence towards men and boys in some aspects of conflict is because mm-hmm. uh, in, in receiving their narratives and their experiences of what they've experienced, um, I can identify instances of what I would frame as gender-based violence because they are, they are acts of violence that are trying to reinforce the unequal gender norms in a society. So, for example, um, enforcing the way a man physically looks um, re- uh, to conform to certain religious ideologies, for example, um, being beaten if he does not. Um, and it's mm-hmm. interesting to see that often the men who are recounting those stories don't view it themselves as violence um, because there are very narrow views about conceptions about what violence constitutes in terms of a man, that it must be physical in order for it to be violent. Um, so I think there's mm-hmm. a lot more experiences that are not recognized at the moment as being gender-based violence, particularly in conflict. Um, and and that, mm-hmm. you know, that is leading to a neglected area of the population. I absolutely agree with you. And when you were, when you were making that, that statement, I, was, I just thought back of an article that I read um, just last week, where you know it was in a conflict area. I'm not going to be very specific about the area, um, but they, they were actually talking about a man who had to watch while his wife and daughter were abused. Now, talk mm. about the degree of trauma. Now, he has not been beaten up, you know, but what he has to live, you know, through seeing this mm. kind of, you know. Um, abuse taking place, you know, you know, in, with his wife and his daughter, mm. in my view, is horrific. But they mm. purposefully brought him in that room as they abused the wife and the daughter for him to see. That yes. was, they did that purposefully. So I absolutely get your point. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I understand. There's so many, you know, ways it can trauma can take place and gender-based violence can take place that are maybe neglected or not really focused on. And maybe we tend to focus too much on the physical. Is that correct, or is that? Uh, I think mm. our understanding is continuing to develop about the the multiple 
layers of trauma that are experienced during conflict. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think we, we can see that as um, it's only since the early 90s, really, that the sexual violence as a weapon of war has become a legal concept. Um, and the definitions around that have increased, um, as we know, as, we, as we've learned more about people's experiences during conflict. Um, and certainly the, the example you described around the, you know, the, the multiple tra- trauma for that family involving mm-hmm. the, the, the man, the, the woman and the child. Um, th- part of the reason why sexual violence is operated as a strategy of war is to target the man as well, as well as the woman. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, it is a, a form of humiliating the man um, by, uh, uh, by abusing his wife. Um, yeah, as absolutely. As well. Yeah, mm. absolutely. It's terrible. And and I'm just I just like us to 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 further discuss what are some of the long term implications on these victims, you know, their overall health. Yeah, I mean they they're multiple. They're implications in every aspect of that individual's health and future, um, in terms of the physical and mental health. Uh, the, we know that um, that well, um, following uh, instances of gender-based violence, women are more likely to be twice as more likely to be depressed than women who have not experienced gender-based violence. Um, but we also know there's comorbidities that go alongside mental illness um, related to gender-based violence. Um, this relates to uh, reproductive health. Um, uh, women might be more vulnerable to acquiring HIV um, other forms of health conditions might be neglected because of the circumstances in which they are living in Um, so we know that there's uh, vast physical uh, consequences as well as mental health consequences as well Um, I still think that we need to understand more about the processes of trauma particularly in Mm -hmm. conflict as well Um, in some of the conflicts we're seeing now they are protracted conflicts, they're conflicts um, where they are very much premised on identity. I, I was attending mm-hmm. a talk last night by Nadia Murad, who was, who was a young woman who was enslaved by Daesh, ISIS, um, mm-hmm. as a Yazidi woman in, in Iraq. And she mentioned how um, she was born in the heart of, of the crimes that were committed against her. Um, that mm-hmm. the, the war came to her, it was occurred in her home. So there's, uh, I mean, the, if you think about trauma and conflict, how it's relating to identity and home, some of the two crucial aspects of that make up the self of who we are, we can really try to understand then um, some of the long-term implications that that has on how, how people are going to experience life in the future. Yeah, and 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 I'm not I'm not sure. I I think you you heard uh, you listened briefly to the clip I played. It was a TEDx clip by Jessica Deer, and she was talking about cultural informed approach to mental health. Mm-hmm. And we do know cultures are different, and you do a lot of work in this area, you know, of trauma therapeutic interventions, and you actually incorporate cross cultural mental health. Can yeah. you just give us a little bit of a better understanding of why it's important for us? to gain more awareness of the differences that exist within different cultures, whether in a conflict area, you know, or an Mm -hmm. extremely, you know, you know, tense or war zone that would affect us and why, why this approach of having a more culturally informed approach is important. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, that's an important question and one that much of my work centers on. I prefer to think of it as cross-cultural pluralism uh, rather than cross-cultural differences. Um, often we mm -hmm. tend to think about culture in terms of when somebody or something is differentiated from us. And I think that can be quite a negative or harmful reduction of culture in some ways. Um, I, the reason why I, I work a lot with cross-cultural mental health is because mental health, um, I mean, this is a huge debate about whether mental health uh, psychiatry can be universally applied um, in terms of its the diagnoses and categories. Um, mm -hmm. But what we what we can understand from some of the work that's been done in medical anthropology, for example, is that the lived experience of different conditions are going to vary um, around the world. And particularly at my work is looking at cross-cultural aspects of trauma. So in that sense, I think about culture as, as the way that we make sense of the world around us. And trauma mm -hmm. is when our, something becomes traumatic when our worldview becomes disrupted when it's it's the, the, when there's a rupture in our worldview and things no longer make sense to us. So culture mm -hmm. becomes a really important tool in in trying to make sense of what's going on. Um, and I think when we're trying to think about trauma recovery or trauma therapeutic interventions, we need to mm -hmm. understand about those around those concepts. Sometimes culture is harmful. Sometimes it can be a positive resource, but we still need to understand the way that somebody is perceiving their self and also their world around them. So that was what some of my work in Afghanistan was around in trying to understand um, the, the women who, I, who we were working with, um, their views around suffering. How did they perceive suffering? Yeah, I mean, amazing. I mean, your work is really, really impeccable. Um, I, we, before we go on, and, and my next question would be, what are some trauma therapeutic interventions for gender-based violence and, and maybe in relation to your work in Afghanistan. But before we, we go into that question, I'd like to bring in uh, my co-host, um, Shaz, who I can see is on the line. And um, also before Shaz uh, comes on the line, I'd like to also um, you know, invite um, listener with the, with, the, with the area code 201 and the last four digits, 6432, who has pushed one on the keypad. If you'd like to join in, um, feel free to jump in, okay? Um, but in the meantime, Shaz, would you like to um, um, come in and say hello? I think I yeah. see you here on the line. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening, Good evening. Uh, Dr. Aisha Ahmadi. Um, it's our pleasure to have you on the show. It's really uh, great what you're doing. I understand Thank that you. you're like really working with these people because um, um, I'm a translator. When I go out and translate for people, I also have these people from um, basically a lot of them are from Afghanistan. Okay. Because, um, they have experienced a lot of things, seen a lot of things, and they're actually traumatized. And um, like you're saying, if it's the women, if the girls, they come up here, they don't have the parents, they don't know actually what happened with them. Um, yeah, so... Um, I know how, you know, I mean, it's really hard for them, um, what you were mentioning with, with women, with the, you know, depression, everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's really true what you're saying, that it's really hard that um, when they have experienced um, different things, um, yeah, I mean, through their journey or whatever it has happened to them, you know, um, yes. 
in their lives. So, yes, I think you're exactly right that the the story of trauma is continuous. There is rarely I mean, one just instance like it just of trauma. Keeps, yeah, it it feels like sometimes when I can also see that it's not something that just that just gonna go away, even though they will get the help that they need. Um, and especially it, it it depends like you know what they have been involved with but um you can really tell that it's not something maybe it will just stay with them you know for rest of their lives even though they will get help from doctors and everything so it's it's really amazing what you're doing thank you and likewise <laughs> thank you <clears throat> Okay, Charles, do you have any other questions for? No, I, no. I mean, no. My question was just that. Yeah, yeah. No, not for now. Right now. <laughs> okay, but, um, that's no, fine. But, yeah. um, okay, okay. Aisha, we'll just go on to um, maybe we can go on and and discuss my next um, um, topic, and that is the traumatic uh, trauma therapeutic interventions that you um, you you used um, to you know, during your, your amazing work in Afghanistan to address the issue of gender-based violence. If we could touch on that just a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about how that worked and how it went so that we can get some best practices as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. So um, I, I'm a researcher, uh, not a mm-hmm. clinician, but I was, I, uh, my interest was in thinking about what would be a cross-cultural cross, uh, cross, what, a cross valid approach to thinking about trauma related to gender-based violence in a context like Afghanistan, which is a context of chronic conflict, uh, not just armed conflict, but uh, other forms of conflict as well. Some of the harshest gender inequalities in the world, um, as well as uh, various other health inequalities as well. Um, And uh, particularly in the context where we were working, which were with women who have experienced particularly uh, intimate partner violence. But in this context, it is the perpetrators are not just the husband. They are often the female members of the husband's family as well. Um, and it's not possible for a woman to really divorce and have an independent life. So there is a situation where women might go to a shelter for a temporary amount of time, but will either have to remain there indefinitely or will have to return to their family um, at a later point. So I was considering, well, what, what would trauma therapy look like in this context where the trauma is continuous, where the, chron- the conflict is chronic, um, and where there may be very different notions of suffering? We often see very strong rhetorics and narratives around particularly Afghan women or um, Muslim women from other countries um, about being very, uh, as victims, as being uh, silent and very passive. And I wanted to try and uh, deconstruct that image uh, of, of women and to think about storytelling in this context. So from this cultural background, storytelling is extremely a rich resource. It has a lot of power within a society to the extent that during the Taliban regime, women were banned from reciting uh, or being involved in any way with poetry. Um, so part of addressing gender-based violence in this context, I felt it was important to address it on an individual level, but also on a social transformation level. So that's why uh, my colleagues and I, we worked on 
um, develop try and developing an intervention. Um, so this was a very small project to to do some uh, interview life narrative interviews and hold some focus groups. So we were looking at the role of exploring um, stories that have helped shape that woman's identity throughout her life, um, rather than asking direct questions about her violence. So some of the other dominant forms of trauma therapy, such as narrative exposure therapy, rely on um, Mm -hmm. recounting the details of the trauma. In this context, I felt it was unethical and it wasn't culturally applicable to do that. Uh, that's why I looked at more using the traditional storytelling and bringing in um, Persian poets, female poets, some um, very famous poets who have got strong stories themselves of um, gender-based violence, um, such as uh, Rabia Balki from um, uh, quite a long time ago now, but um, the, the legend has it from, I think, something around the 10th century she lived she was a poet and when it uh, she was imprisoned by her her brother um because of who he found out that she was in love with and um he he um cut the jugular vein of her um and oh, imprisoned her no. in the bathroom no and, but she, no. she continued to write poems um on the bathroom wall uh, with her own blood until she died and this is a no. this is um, a legend that's that's lasted for you know, um, hundreds of years, and she's still a very strong figure in Persian poetry. Um, so we we use some of her in work. Persian, Persian, uh, Iranian, Persian. Yes, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what is now Iran? Yes. Um, yeah. Sorry. So go on. <laughs> so we we use we had focus groups where we used some of her her writing or her story, um, and we we had reflection around this, um, as well as some more modern day female poets as well. Um, um, so opportunities to develop other stories, new stories um, for um, that for the women that were uh, that included for more options of their identity. Wow, I mean that's very intense. I mean, Shaz, um, Shaz uh, you're breaking off. You're breaking off a little bit, um, Aisha. Hello. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm still here, but I could hear the connection was kind of like breaking Yeah, Aisha, up. you kind of broken off. Hello. I'm not sure, hey, Aisha, if you can hear us. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, we we can barely hear you. Um, would you like to call back in, Aisha, if you can hear us? It, hey now. Yes, but you're you're breaking off really bad. Would you like to call back in? Okay, I'll end the call and call back in. Oh, now you're okay. good. Now we can hear you just fine. No, now it's okay. Okay, now it's I'm okay. not sure what perfect. happened. <laughs> yeah, okay, I perfect. don't know if you could hear me, but I was just about to say that um, Shaz was just saying, I don't know if you could hear her, but she was just saying that she's heard about the movie. Um, Shaz, I, I'm not sure what the movie is. Um, you've heard about the, Iran- the Persian woman who... who yeah, I have heard about it. I don't remember so much about it, but okay. I, it seems very familiar, and I have heard about. It. And I think actually, I also saw. I I have seen them. I, well, they made a, which I remember, and it's a like very long time ago. 
I remember briefly something what you were saying mm-hmm. about this thing. So um, it, that's kind of interesting, <laughs> but um, it, but it's it's very strong um, about this this lady. There, I mean, yeah, that yeah. Oh, that you yeah that you're actually telling telling about. Um, so, um, but you know, you're, I mean, Iranians they do have a lot of poets and poetry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to use it. As it's a rich cultural resource, and often the culture is seen in a very negative light because of the associations of the violence toward women. But we wanted to draw on a resource that is available, that is that actually can continue in a positive way and that's sustainable as well. Yeah, um, Aisha, correct me if I'm wrong, but this action, uh, this heinous action that the brother did to this woman, yes. what's her name? Her name again? Please tell us her uh, name again. The, the poet is uh, uh, Rabia Balki. So it's from Balki. the 10th and the century. woman, the woman who was um, abused by her husband, by her boyfriend, uh, sorry, her brother. Yes, this is the the poet, the the female poet. Oh, she's the uh, poet as well. Yes, okay. she's the poet. And, yes, and it's, it's was the magic. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is because she was in love with somebody. And uh, was, has this anything to do with kind of a forced marriage setting or an honor killing setting where uh, she was I not mean, allowed to pick her husband? Why was it such a big issue that she loved it was, somebody? It was, uh, she was, um, uh, it, well, it was the 10th century. And so it, it's, a, it's constructed around a legend. Um, but it was because she um, uh, she was in love with a slave um, who was working for her family, uh, a family, uh, some kind of royal family, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. And because of who she was with, and her brother found out, um, he the brother um, imprisoned the slave, um, and he also imprisoned uh, his sister as well, um, and then. Uh, Attempted to kill her sister by his sister by um, cutting her her vein, um, and when her when the the her, the person the man the slave that who she was in love with he actually escaped from where he was being held in prison. But when he found out about um, Rabia having um, died by this point, he went to the uh, he went to the governor's office and he assassinated the brother and then committed suicide. So it's it's a very tragic love affair. Um, mm-hmm. But the example of poetry and how important it was for her to continue to write poetry um, up until the point until she passed away, I think that is very symbolic. Yeah, I, I like, well, this is just my two cents, y'all. And um, thank you, guests and all our listeners who are saying you absolutely love Aisha. <laughs> Aisha, <laughs> you're getting quite a bit of love there. <laughs> They're saying thank you're you. so smart, <laughs> <laughs> so intelligent. <laughs> of course. These are our guests. What did you expect? <laughs> Thank you. We have intelligent women on our show. And I will not ask y'all what you think of me and Chad, but anyway, we'll just take that later. We have a guest in the house, so y'all need to, you know. Um, I'm glad that you'll love our guest. We absolutely love her. And we're absolutely, y'all need to have your pen and pad because, you know, y'all, we always want you all to go and change the world. So we hope that you're getting something out of this. Um, of course. Um, but that yeah. being said, um, Aisha, I, I wanted to um, to actually talk a little uh, further about this storytelling and the poetry mm-hmm. of poetry because I think this is so fabulous because um, I had a discussion 
with, uh, with a woman who um, is quite uh, popular in Kenya. And she also okay. has done some really good interviews on BBC. And we had a chat and she has experienced, um, you know, different forms of gender-based violence. And she said something that every time people interview her and ask her questions about her story, she has to relive it. And she doesn't yes. feel that this is fair. And I like the way you put it. You said, this is, um, what did you call it? You said, this is, um, it's, you almost put it like it's, it's, it's unjust. You know, to and make I, a woman yeah, I didn't go think it was through ethical. the process yeah. again. Yeah, ethical, exactly. Yeah. And I totally agree with you that it's absolutely unethical because a lot of women who've gone through this, every time you ask them to retell and retell and retell their experience, it's like you drag them through the whole yeah. motions, you know. And so this approach of storytelling, I think, could be beneficial to a lot of communities, especially, like you said, you know, the history of poetry in, in certain mm. cultures. Um, which already I think they will embrace much quicker because they're already part of the culture and they can yes, use exactly. this uh, you know, as a therapeutic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think in places like Africa, which is already also a huge storytelling culture, mm-hmm. this would also be a really good approach that could be you know, embraced in those communities because you know, over years we've learned a lot through storytelling. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, think you're this exactly is a very right. interesting approach, a broad culture. It's not always you know, the, you know, what do you call it? The standard, you know, psychiatry mm. approach. And, mm. and, and on this note, maybe you can tell us about the cultural differences in people accepting mental health. Because I know mm. in, <laughs> in Africa, mm. nobody has mental health problems. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Nobody. Everybody is perfect. <laughs> you don't have mental, what mental health? Go to church and pray about it. Mm. You'll be fine, you know? Or um, don't talk about it. Just remember, just be happy, smile, laugh. Mm. So I think there's some mental health has also some hidden taboos in it. But please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not the expert on mental health. But this is what I just see from different interactions. There's mm-hmm. a taboo. There's a, you know, there are cultures of not acknowledging mental health or even accepting mm. that it exists. What do we do in this case? Yes. I mean, in yeah. To take it from the beginning of what you were mentioning around storytelling, we are hoping to expand our work with, we are applying for more funding at the moment to continue the work in, in various other countries such as Iraq, Kurdistan, Turkey, um, and also South Africa to, uh, because of the relevance of storytelling as part of the culture, as you described it. Um, what we also, um, what you mentioned about mental health in terms of the taboo, um, I think it comes down to different understandings around serious So in, in our societies, particularly Western societies, if we can define them in that way, we have a very dualistic view of the mind and the body. Um, we can thank Descartes for that several hundred years ago. Um, but in other societies, there is a, a much more integrated view of the of the self, of the mind and the body. And that's why you might see in other societies where people express by describing physical symptoms. Um, mental health illnesses, um, things that uh, differentiate somebody as different from the rest of society, there are lots of taboos around this. I, I particularly work in the area of cultural mental health and um, there are many human rights violations taking place due to various interpretations of um, individuals suffering from what 
from a Western perspective might be diagnosable as a psychiatric disorder, um, such as psychosis, for example, um, that might be interpreted as being um, possessed by a spirit in other, in other societies. And then the treatments found that might, are quite violent um, and they can cause serious injuries, sometimes even death. So there, there's lots of different understandings around uh, mental health. I think universally there is stigma still around mental health as well. Um, but the degree to which that is harmful is going to be dependent on the different cultural interpretation um, of, of mental illness. Yeah. And, and what is the role of religion? Because, mm. um, you know, I'll take an example of Kenya, which is um, a very Christian um, country. And yeah. um, in, uh, most churches also have counselors. And their counseling yeah. is done from a, from a Christian context. So yes. the Bible and the approach of the Bible is, is, uh, is incorporated. Probably the 90% is incorporated in the therapy. Yes. Um, you know, is that helpful? I, you know, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I don't know if it's the same in the Middle East, whether people incorporate, you know, Islam or other religions. You know, I know in, in, in parts yeah. where they practice Hinduism and Buddhism, that is also incorporated in different forms of therapy, you know, karma yeah. and, and these other, you know, you know. You I mean, know. yeah. Yeah. I mean, ideally, religion would should be a space of compassion and healing, um, but it's not always in, uh, implemented. Um, sometimes because of political facts and ideologies and extremism, um, so sometimes religion is not healing and it's not compassionate. Um, but often in certain societies, religious leaders are the gatekeepers to communities um, and they are the authority figures, particularly in areas where there are no, where there is poor health infrastructure, where there is, I mean, in some countries, um, for example, in Sierra Leone, there's only one psychiatrist in the whole country. Um, so you can understand why traditional healers and our religious leaders are much more part of the health approach, um, even, particularly in, in cases where it might not be somebody suffering or distress might not be viewed as a health issue, but might be seen as a spiritual issue or religious aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there, there's potential for religion to have an important role, um, but like anything, there's nuance with it. Um, and I, it's interesting to see psychiatry and mental health in countries um, such as the UK where psychiatry and mental health has, has been criticized as perhaps being too medicalized um, and reducing the experience of, of mental illness to, to something that's more of a policy. Um, so there's, I, I'm currently working on a, a book chapter with a colleague of mine on the role of religion and spirituality in mental health of trying oh. to um, demedicalize mental health in some ways to um, to develop it more as a, a spiritual encounter. But this is controversial within a biomedical framework of psychiatry. So I it, it really depends on on the context. But the the ethos always has to be on on healing rather than harm. And yeah, that's the balance. But again, that's the thing. You know, what is harm? Because I yeah. know in, in 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 a religion context where people believe in karma. They will accept yeah. certain, you know, treatment, whether it's the most heinous crime committed against them. They might just say, this is my karma. And, and yeah. they will not even bother to seek for any help because this is my karma. It's, it's, it's like a docile kind of um, conclusive acceptance. 
that this is mm. the path that my life has taken not realizing that this is not the path your life has taken someone has actually violated you and you can do something about it and if they are in an environment where they have somebody who believes in that you know completely and this person is in a position of authority do you think that that could hinder them going to get you know some kind of support or do you think that there are ways that you know because you've done a lot of extensive research are there ways that these communities um, and that goes across the board not just you know you know hinduism or you know religions where they have come about across the board all the religions all kinds do you think that there's a way to um, blend the solutions where you don't alienate the religion because it plays a very important role in people's lives and you don't alienate the you know psychiatry or you know the medical you know yes. area, you know part of it is there a way that these two can kind of mash up and blend whereby you know they both are working in cohesion to actually like you so nicely put it result in healing mm. i think what's important in in it's one of the examples you just described is to understand what people's expectations are shaped on the resources of what is around them um so it's not just around mental health it's also around physical health if somebody has a terminal illness for example where, where they know they are very sick they they might not seek physical help because they know that they are they are going to eventually die um mm-hmm. and it might be expensive for them to receive treatment um so i think it it's really dependent on what an individual's expectations are and i think that having um that now mental health is is on the global health agenda it's uh, a priority in um in the way that we develop in health systems around the world mental health has to be part of primary health care has to be part of the health system infrastructure um that we cannot have any form of health uh, or development of a country without having good mental health of the of the population so there's i think when we now in societies that have um weaker or more fragile health systems as they will continue to develop hopefully with um the right direction from their governments um and international work as well that there is going to be increased expectations of the population in terms of when they are suffering um how that suffering can be mediated and perhaps they might understand it or channel it through a religious uh, discourse but there's combinations I mean in in I I would assume um just on the religions that I am familiar with already that uh here is important in all religions um so there it's not incompatible with um accepting treatment of other forms yeah and and it's good that you mentioned the financial part of it because somebody in 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 the chat just had been typing you know asking to talk about affordability and accessibility yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I people mean, in conflict yeah. are not yeah. able to assess a lot of these resources no. that was the way no. they put it mm mm-hmm. Yes, I think in accessibility, especially in extreme conflict areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I, that's why mental humanitarian health is so challenging because um of the delivery or and of working in fragile insecure emergency acute situations where there might be um as other health needs that are prioritized, but in the research that's been done around mental health, we know that um there's multi-sectoral approaches needed that there's going to be different stages of humanitarian mental health um and one of the initial stages that is 
uh, needs to be undertaken is around psychosocial support, um, particularly mm-hmm. in trying to secure um, that the person's um, uh, immediate needs around them. Um, I, I, you know, the poverty, I think that is, um, often, it, it's there, but it's, it's not understood always about how much of uh, a preventative factor that is in somebody um, accessing other forms of healthcare that might be less harmful than some traditional um, forms of treatment. Yeah, and, and Tracy, welcome in the chat. Tracy has a very good question. She says that um, how much how much of the politics is involved in providing this treatment to people? I think that that's an area that I'm increasingly becoming interested in, and also, if I'm honest, be quite dismayed in as well. I think. Um, uh, it's, it's difficult without naming governments, but um, I think it, it No, we don't be, want to do that. Yes. <laughs> it can be quite difficult. Um, if we, Mental health is related to development, and there can be, mm-hmm. um, particularly when we're thinking about gender aspects as well, that there might mm-hmm. be certain reasons why certain genders are continued to be oppressed in certain societies. Um, and why mental health might be used as a, almost as a, a strategy of violence as well. Um, for example, if, some, if a woman discloses um, uh, an account of, of violence, then it, she might be just diagnosed as being depressed or, um, or, or mad or crazy because she's mentally ill. Um, mm-hmm. So mental health can be used in negative ways as well. Um, I think the because the biomedical framework or even the biopsychosocial model of mental health or psychiatry is Western dominated, there can be resistance from other societies, other countries mm-hmm. that have, you know, post um, post-colonial, um, post-imperialistic societies um, where there, mm-hmm. there's strong historical political discourses which might actually want resent um, that. I mean, there's certain strong um, critics of uh, global mental health, who, who I, I admire very much, but, um, who criticize some of the universality of mental health um, as being another form of colonialism, of trying to understand everybody in the same way. Um, so there, there's lots of politi- political issues there around mental health uh, development globally. Yeah. Tracy, are you happy with that answer? <laughs> yeah, excellent. You hate politics? <laughs> <laughs> they don't take care of people. <laughs> true, very true. You know, Tracy, you should come on the show and tell us, you know, and share your view next time. You know, hit us up, we'll, we'll invite you on the show. Um, but we have five minutes left on the show. And so any last questions? Shaz, any last questions? Any last, um, anything you would like um, uh, Dr. Amatu to tell us or to answer for you all? Go ahead and do that. Everybody else in the chat, um, any last questions? I know there are so many questions. She's answered some as she as, as she was going along, especially the situation in Afghanistan. But y'all can also listen to. Um, we had a show where um, Monday ta- uh, we had a guest, um, Mandy Sangaro, talked about um, the issue of forced marriage and um, and honor killings. So you can go mm-hmm. and listen to that and get a little bit of more insights on that. Um, but she has kind of touched on it because, of course, these things are not happening in isolation. Okay, so any, any, um, any last questions? Because we'll slowly have to wind up. 
We hope that, um, Aisha, you would love to come back to our show. You're always welcome because we have Thank so many questions. And as you can tell, four minutes is not enough. <laughs> We'd like to go on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if, if nobody is posing a question or wants to make a last statement, um, I will. I have a thousand and one questions, just not enough time. Um, so I'll go ahead and, and ask you, what can we do? How can we get involved? Easy breezy. I know people don't want it to be too complicated. They want it easy breezy. Um, If you can do a one, two, three step, maybe four, five steps, we would absolutely be honored. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, the the main thing, the only thing I, I mean, it might not be such of a surprise given my um, work on storytelling, but I believe in writing. Um, Writing and uh, and. Um, communication of words, uh, narratives that might be suppressed, that might have been hidden. Um, I think this is the most important thing we can do. And if we look at the mental health research around conflict, there's so little that's been done around civilians' experiences of conflict. Um, we, we don't hear those voices. So I would, um, I think we, the world needs to know about how people suffer from war, from war much more than we know now. So those of us who can um, put forward those narratives of any forms of trauma, suffering that our parents might have gone, our pe- grandparents, um, our friends, then I think those stories need to be written. So I would really encourage people to write as much as they can. And if, if, um, I'm very happy for people to contact me as well if they wish, wish to. Okay, please go ahead and share all your details, um, where we can reach you, how we okay. can you know, contact you, and where we can find more information about your work. Um, okay. Because perhaps people can support in different ways, you know, maybe share an article, you know, you okay. never know, you know? Okay. All right, thank you very much. Well, my, uh, you, I can share my Twitter, which is at Academic Aisha. And my email address, if you if that would help, is uh, it's all lowercase. It's a dot ahmed at ucl dot ac dot uk, and you can mm-hmm. find my Facebook profile following that email address as well. So yeah. there's a few ways there you can get in contact with me. Perfect. So you all um, reach out because you really never know. You never know. A lot of these things yeah. are kind of very taboo topics. They're secreted because they're associated with a lot of shame. And yeah. so people sometimes might like to keep a lot of these things private. Yeah. So what we like to share over here is when you're having dinner, just share some of this information because someone might not raise their hand and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. But just that you've talked about it, they might get an idea of how they can address it in their own privacy. Okay, yeah. y'all? That's how we do it over yeah. here. You don't have to go out to the placard and say, here I am. You have to take this pill. No, just talk about the topic, share information. You know, say I, I heard on this show that, you know, writing is a good way to deal with trauma. They might do it in their own privacy, not talk about mm-hmm. it, but you'll start to see them, you know, shine and glow a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shaz, real quick, we have one minute on the show. If you want to have any last Yeah, words. I just want to say um, that, Again, it's really amazing what you're doing, and then I also know it's 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 a very hard area to work with, yeah. Um, because everybody has different issues; they have experienced different, you know, um, things in their life. Um, and um, like like um, like Faith said that you know it's not something that people like to say maybe openly, but it's more private because again, what they have experienced, what has happened to them, how they have been tortured, and so on, so on. Mm-hmm. So it's really amazing what you do. And then again, it's just that um, 
you know, they need to talk about it and also feel, you know, feel comfortable to to tell their story um, to somebody that they can feel, you know, that they can trust and open up to. Thank you very much, Shaz. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Aisha, once more. You're most welcome to come back. I hope you would love to come back. I would love to. Thank you very much. You made me think a lot about other things as well tonight, so thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's an absolute honor. Our guests absolutely love you. Um, Our Twitter friends are saying, please bring her back. We absolutely love her. She's a... (laughs) They just called you, you know. They said black women rock. Okay, we don't. (laughs) But she's a woman who rocks. (laughs) Thank you. We will deliver the message, you know, you know, to all to all of our black sisters, black rock sisters. Yes, Aisha Ahmad is a black woman who rocks. Okay, y'all. Um, so Aisha, there you have it. We absolutely you. love you and keep doing Thank your you. work. Um, stay strong. We love your resilience. We love your passion, and we're absolutely honored. To all of Thank our listeners, so um, for those of you who are joining us, um, caller, uh, <laughs> is your hand up, caller? Last two or one. Okay. Um, okay. So we'll just head out right now. Anybody who's joining us right now, we're about to head out. We'd love to hang out with you all night, but we cannot do that. Um, so go and listen to the archives and don't forget you can share this audio. It's absolutely fine. And get in touch with Aisha. Share your stories. Um, you know, use fiction if that works for you. It absolutely is fine. And um, yeah, keep talking. Keep the dialogue. Let's keep talking about it. Everybody, We love you all, and we have to say goodbye, Aisha. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for having us. The rest of you, go on and do what we ask you on every show. Go and change the world. Bye-bye. I'll be a better man today.